Thank you, beloved. Thank you for that good singing. My, when you think about the Lord Jesus, how wonderful He is. I'm going to move a little closer to you. I'll be plugged in with you here. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, say amen. amen. Are you ashamed of Him or do you love Him? Amen. We love Him. And uh, I want to look here in Psalm 27 because this is a psalm that it's popular. Uh, it's become popular with many people. And, and it's a psalm that reminds us of the faithfulness of God, what we've just been singing about, particularly in times where it looks like we're up against a wall. You know, sometimes you may, in, in life experience, be the Lord says there's a mountain in your pathway. You've got a particular pathway and, and you've got this obstacle and it's like a mountain. It may, it may be, uh, a problem at work, a problem with an individual at work or in the assembly, or it may be a problem in your family. It may be financial. It may be spiritual. It may be emotional, but it's like an obstacle. It's like a giant and nobody knew how to slay giants better than King David. You know, when I look at the life of David, I sometimes hear people, not here, I'm talking about out in the world, you hear people, they like to criticize David because the Bible records his faults. Well, the Bible doesn't record your faults and mine, and we're glad, right? But David's faults have been recorded because he was a picture of Messiah, and he knew it. And he had been called by the Lord at a young age as a teenager, And so his life journey is recorded for us. But people that criticize David, you know, these are people that haven't had the experiences with death, with people turning against him, with spiritual battles like David did. And he records some of this here in this psalm. And we know his life story in First and Second Samuel, right? So I say to the people that want to criticize him, when you've been through the kind of experiences David went through successfully, then I'll listen to you criticize David. But I'm not going to criticize David. No way. I'm going to see him in glory. I can aspire, and you and I can aspire, to be as spiritually minded in times of trial as David. But I don't think any one of us will get as close to the Lord as David even was, even in his difficulties. And we see that in this psalm. We don't have a a superscription at the beginning of the psalm to tell us, like we do in some of the psalms, when it occurred, right? But we have some evidence. in. We call it internal evidence. You know, there's external evidence where we have things that tell us what happened in the Bible. And then we have internal evidence from the text itself, which is always the best. And there are a couple of things in the psalm that would indicate to me that this would be between his conquering the giant Goliath and then a few years after when King Saul turned against him and he began his flight of several years from King Saul. Remember, he he began that flight. He was in his late teens, early 20s. So you young people that think, well, maybe I can serve the Lord and I can be involved in His work when I get older, don't wait. Get involved in His work now. Don't wait till then. You may not be alive then. We don't know how long we're going to live on this planet. Get involved now. And I know that's one of the things I'm thankful for this too. The elders in this meeting are about that. They're about getting people involved, learning what their spiritual gift is earlier in their life so they can be useful for the Lord for a long stretch maybe. 
So the psalm breaks up, I think, into um, four parts. Verses 1 through 6 kind of form an introduction, and verse 14 kind of serves as a conclusion. And then we have verses 7 through 10 in the middle, and verses 11 to 13. So I'm going to break it down this way if you're wanting to write it down. Verses 1 through 6, the Lord himself, my stronghold. And the picture there is, if you've ever seen a picture of Masada in Israel, just south of En Gedi, along the Dead Sea, that's the picture. Uh, I had the privilege of being there a year and a half ago and just standing there and you, you, you're you up there high on a rock that stands way up above the plain and nobody can get to you. And that's the picture when you see that word stronghold in David's Psalms. That's usually the picture, the word that he's using. So the Lord himself, a person. You know, we've not just been saved to a religious institution. We've not just been saved to some sort of religion. We've been saved to a relationship with a real living person. Aren't you glad? Made, we've been made in the image and likeness of God. And, and so He wants to relate to us in a personal way. And that comes out strongly in this psalm. He, he uses two pictures of the Lord in the verse 1. My light and my salvation. And sometimes we how is the Lord my light? And how is the Lord my salvation? And I think that's what he explains later in the psalm. My salvation in verses 7 through 10 and my light in verses 11 to 13. I'll try to show you that as we go through it. And then he makes a conclusion. I will confidently wait upon him. It's really hard to do. When you're up against an obstacle... And you're trying to figure out, go this way, go that way, or am I going to try to go right through it? Well, that depends on how the Lord directs. And it's different every time, right? But we wait on Him to guide, and He will, because He's faithful. So part of the reason why people say, hey, I'm saved, I'm already ready for glory, why is he letting me go through trials down here on earth? Why are these difficulties as a Christian? You know, why, why isn't it just peaches and cream, the Christian life, right? Because it's a training ground, isn't it? This life is a training ground for eternity. We'll reign with him then. We need training now. And a lot of what, not only what he uses, but a lot of what he uses is trials and difficulties, obstacles, sufferings. And beloved, unfortunately, it's true. It's the human condition, right? For all of us, we usually learn more in our trials and sufferings than we do when things are going great, right? Things are going great. The Lord is out of our minds sometimes which is very dangerous because the enemy, Satan, can see that in our lives and that's when he'll bring in something to trip us up. David knew about this spiritual battle, this experience. So let's read verses 1 through 6 and how, how he starts off this psalm. The Lord, and if you like, when you see that, the tetragrammaton, the, the Lord in capitals, L-O-R-D, that's the name Jehovah. Or Yahweh, Jehovah, because it, it's a personal name. 
is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Fear. <laughs> Have you ever had that emotion lately? <laughs> when, when we encounter an obstacle or a difficulty, it's automatic. God doesn't tell us to stop fearing. Fear is integral. It, it happens. It's what we do when we realize we're afraid. That's important, right? And David, is, he's preparing himself before the struggle happens. He's, these first six verses in an introduction, he's remembering back, Lord, in my previous times of difficulty, like the Goliath story, you were faithful. You were there. You took me through. So I know when he gets into the present difficulty in verse 7, I know you'll be with me now. It's a great way to develop our spiritual life. And that's where journaling can really be helpful. I'm big on journaling. I learned about that way back in the late 1980s. And it's been a real profit. Because you write down these things and so you can remember them. (laughs) You write down when he was there for you in a particular time. Because when the next trial hits, you'll forget how faithful he was in bringing you through the last one. Amen? We'll forget because emotion takes over and the trauma of the moment takes over and we forget. That's why we need that personal, quiet time with the Lord on a regular basis, consistently, especially when things are going well. You say, well, when things go bad, I'm I'm on my knees, I'm, I'm meeting the Lord in the morning regularly. But you need to be doing that when things are going good too. That's what David's teaching us here. So he's saying, the Lord himself is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength. That word strength there is the, could be translated stronghold or masada. He's, he's the masada of my life. He's the stronghold. He's a, like a fortress where I'm protected. Of whom I shall, of whom shall I be afraid? Now note this. When the wicked came, past tense, right? So he's looking back. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. You remember what the term Goliath used when he met David? David came out with a slingshot and he said, Am I a dog? You're going to come with sticks and stones. And remember what Goliath said? I'm going to kill you and give your body to the birds of the air. And the beast of the field. That was an expression, an Hebraism, if you will, of saying, you're not even going to get a burial. I'm going to leave your body on the ground for the, for the animals. I think that's what David's talking about here. Goliath is the wicked one. When he came and he said he was going to eat up my flesh, it's a, it's a graphic picture of a dishonorable, not only death, but a dishonorable death. Beloved, Do you realize, like we should, like I should, how much Satan hates us? And and how much he wants to destroy us? If we only had a glimpse of that, I think we'd be a lot closer and wanting to stay closer to our Lord, right? Because He is our strength. He is our light. He is our protection. And if we think we can drift off on our own and go up against Lucifer... The sun of the morning, on our own strength, woo-hoo. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you 
but what such is common to man. We tend to think, oh, no, 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 my trial is way worse than yours. My trial is my difficulty, my obstacles. Wait, no, no. Bible tells us we all encounter them. And, and as a family, we go through them together and we're there for one another. Amen? We're there for one another. That's the part of the body of Christ. So he says, I remember back, my enemy came against me and it, it looked hopeless. I mean, Goliath was a nine-foot giant with full armor and no one in King Saul's army, including the king himself, wanted to go up against him. I mean, they were at a stalemate in the Valley of Elah, right? And David walks out there, he's probably 16, with a slingshot and five stones. You see the picture? What is David saying? He's saying that this battle is the Lord's. Remember, that's what he says in 1 Samuel 17. It's not my battle. And when you and I are struggling with something difficult, it's not our battle. The battle is the Lord's because we're, we belong to Him. And that's why we're going through this. And so we want to go through it with Him, right? So he says, Though an army may encamp against me. Would you be fearful if you were just you against an army? David had that. You remember? Because King Saul had the army then, and they did encamp against David at En Gedi and in other places in the area of Judah, right? It'd be just David. Then eventually he got the, the men at Adullam. He got the 400 with him and others, and they gathered. But initially it was just him against a whole army. He says, you know what? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. How about you? Would you be afraid? Not if you realize who you are and how strong God is. It's one thing to sing about it on Sunday in an air-conditioned building where we're all comfortable in comfortable chairs. It's another thing to experience it when we're out of our comfort zone, on the edge of trouble and trial and temptation and difficulty. And that's where David was. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. You could say, because the Lord is my light and my salvation, I'm confident in the Lord through that difficult time. When the wicked rise against me. In this verse 4, which is one of the great verses, I think, of the whole Old Testament. You remember Paul had one thing. In his life, in Philippians chapter 3. One, when you can narrow down, you say, well, that's an oversimplification, brother. (laughs) My life is complicated. I've got this, I've got that, I'm trying to do this. But if you can distill it down to one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. Now, maybe most of us in this room aren't at that place yet. So it's an aspiration it's something to, to look to, to get to that place. But you see where David is spiritually? David was at that place in his 20s. This brother knew what it was to walk with the Lord, right? And he says, one thing I've desired of Jehovah, of the Lord, and that will I seek. So the Lord and the relationship with the Lord was his passion wasn't just an intellectual idea, right? 
It includes that. It includes the intellect. But it invested into his, his heart, his life, his will, everything about him. The Lord became his consuming passion. I aspire that for myself and I aspire that for all of us. Right? You say, well, that's just David. He, he was in a special set of circumstances. I could never. Oh, no. David was under the old covenant. You and I are under the new covenant. David had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have Christ interceding for us in heaven. You just studied that in Romans chapter 8, right? And you see how this dovetails in with 8, 31 to 39, how that section, chapters 1 through 8, closes out. What shall we say to these things if Christ be for us? Who can be against us? It's the same idea, isn't it? Whom shall I fear? He's up there interceding for me. The Holy Spirit's with me down here. I have one in heaven and I have one with me here on earth. How can I fail? Right? But we do fail, don't we? But the key is we don't have to stay failed. You see the difference? We fail. But we don't have to stay in that failed condition. We don't have to. That, we, that would be spiritual defeat before the enemy. What does that say about our Savior if we stay in a defeated condition? It says he's not adequate, right? That he's not a stronghold. That he's not reliable. That he's not faithful, right? That he can't be with me in my time of need. So we want to be careful in our testimonies to live in victory. Not because it's for our own benefit. It will be for our own benefit. Believe me, that's the ultimate in life and experience. In this world and the next. But because I carry the name of the Lord. And people look at you and me and they learn about God by watching and observing us. Especially in times of difficulty and distress, right? They're watching you. You may not be aware of it. Your neighbors, people you interact with at work, if they know you're a believer, and I hope if you're a believer, they know you're a believer, right? I hope they know. The Bible doesn't have anything about closet Christians, right? Where, you know, well, I don't want to offend people, you know, and I, I had relatives like that in the Northeast. You know, well, we, you know, religion's a personal thing. We just keep it. Well, that, they didn't get that from the Bible. They were religious people, I'm talking about. My relatives up there, they didn't know the Lord because they would know that the, this is what the Word says. In this I'll be confident. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, the house of the Lord, what does he mean by that? Does David mean that he wants to live inside that tabernacle? Like Samuel did when he was with the high priest, Eli, right? The priest had residences there. Is that what he means? All the days of my life, I want to be like a monk in a monastery and just closed in. And that No, no. The house of the Lord is a euphemism. It's a picture of what was, in the, what was the primary thing in the house of the Lord anyway. The Lord. <laughs> His presence. And so sometimes the Bible uses the house of the Lord as a picture of the presence of the Lord. And so if David's out in in Gedi, if he's in the cave of Adullam, if he's down on Masada in the stronghold, when he's running from Saul, 
he could make his house, his dwelling place, a sanctuary. Make my life a sanctuary, right? Can you do that in your life? Or are you doing that in your life? Wherever you are, but especially in your house, in your home, in your familiar place, that should be a sanctuary. But eventually, David found out he could make it a sanctuary out in his difficult place, out in the war zone. And that's where spiritual trust in the Lord really grows. Make my life a sanctuary. But why did he want to be in the presence of the Lord all the days of his life? Why did he want that? Well, he tells us. Two infinitives follow that, right? He says, to behold and to inquire. To behold, that's praise. To inquire, that's prayer or supplication. To make requests of the Lord, right? So he says, I want to keep my life in the presence of the Lord and aware of His presence that I may, first of all, you notice prayer is not the first thing. We were, our brother reminded that of that last week in Second Chronicles 20, right? Before they made their request, while their enemy were coming on King Jehoshaphat, what did they do? They broke into praise. And they, just, they were praising the Lord Almighty. Now, the difficulty didn't go away. Eventually it did. But when they were praising Him, the difficulty wasn't gone. The the threat was still there. They could have been annihilated by this three-army confederacy that was coming against them. It looked hopeless. And they're praising and singing to God. That's what the world needs to see in us, too. And We're all a work in progress. Me too, right? I don't do this every time the trial comes. You know, sometimes we just flounder. We just fold up like a wet noodle, you know? But if we're growing and if we want to grow, then we want to make this our aspiration too. One thing I've desired and that I'm going to seek after. David says in Psalm 63, he says, My soul follows hard after you. That is, I'm following in your footsteps. When you land a footstep and you lift it off, my foot goes right in that same place. I'm following right at your heels. I'm following you. Because that's the place of victory. Because that's the place of confidence. That's the place of fruitfulness. And that's within reach of all of us. So he says, to behold the beauty of Jehovah. We were doing that this morning, weren't we? We were just standing back. Like if we had a diamond sitting up here and somebody was rotating it and then the light hits it and the facets of it shine and break forth differently. But it was the Lord Jesus. And we were just gazing upon it. It's the idea of gazing with meditation maybe involved, right? You do that when you're in your quiet time in the Word of God. I know you say, well, I'm trying to find you know, how to outline the passage and, and then I'm trying to find an application and so I can get on my day. <laughs> you know, I, I've been with people where you know, they have the family altar and 10 minutes after the family altar, they've forgotten whatever it was in the altar. <laughs> Maybe they left it on the altar, but they've forgotten whatever the passage was. And when we start in the Word of God, we want to practice the presence of God throughout the day. That's within the realm of every child of God.
It's within reach. It was with him. The beauty of the Lord. What are the beauties of the Lord? Think about it. Well, number one would maybe be, and David mentions it, his compassion. His compassion for people hurting, struggling, people they are at their wits end. That's where he was. That's what he's going to talk about in verse 7 and following. And he says, it was your compassion that brought me through. It was your mercy. I know I can fail, David says, and I'm relying on your mercy. Are you relying on his mercy? And the fact that he's merciful with you, does that cause you to praise him? Or you just say, oh, well, I've known that since Sunday school when I was a kid, and I just take it for granted, right? He's merciful with us every day, David reminded us. His mercies are new, how often? Every morning. Do you need it every day? Maybe some of you don't need it. I do. And if you don't need it, you're not spending enough time in the mirror of the Word. And you'll see you do. You need that mercy. Oh, and you're going to treasure it. It's a beauty. He talks about his beauties in Psalm 8, right? David's out in the Judean wilderness with the sheep. And he looks up, when I behold the heavens and the stars and the works. <laughs> what is man in the, in the face of all of this? Have you ever been out in the place? I know you can't do that here because of the city lights, right? You've got to get out in the dark, out in the middle of the glade somewhere or something like that. And, and it gets, where well, the sky gets really dark and you just, and you just see. That's what the Lord told Abraham. Look up, so shall his descendants be, right? <laughs> and he's, and he's childless. And this is what God can do. This is the awe and power of our God. He wants us to know that. And what better time to know it when you get the, the doctor comes in and gives you the C word, right? You've got terminal cancer. And then immediately the emotions jump up, right? And fear comes in. And you've got to come to the Lord into His presence. And before you even start asking Him (laughs) for a healing and for the right doctor and for the right diagnosis, you gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Can you learn to do that? Can I learn to do that? That's something that comes by practice, doesn't it? You've got children, you can teach your children that. The younger they learn that, the better it'll be for them. But they're gonna, you know where they're going to mainly learn it? By watching you parents in the house. They say, well, we hear you talk about it at church, but we don't see you doing it at home much. And that, that's a big problem for children growing up in a Christian home. They want to see it lived out. So David lived it out. So he beholds the beauty of the Lord. He doesn't have to be in the temple. But can you imagine the temple in the Old Covenant? That was a great benefit, right? They would come into the temple and, and or the tabernacle. And what was the first thing they would see once they came through the, out, the exterior curtain into the courtyard? The first thing they would see? The bronze altar. <laughs> it's a picture of the cross. But for them, they didn't know it was going to be a cross, Probably. David seems to have some insight into that in Psalm 22, but we're not sure how much of that he understood. But the bronze altar was a picture of the bullock, the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God against me. So it reminds us immediately of the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the redemption of God before you even get anywhere further. And this is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. When you're in the Word of God on a regular basis, and I hope you are, keep a record 
If you don't want to call it a journal, if you're against journaling, you say, well, then, then call it a notebook or a spiral notebook. Or maybe, you know, we had a contractor in Houston that used to do estimates on a napkin at, at lunch. Well, it, maybe on a napkin, if that's what you want to do. If you don't want to journal, I want a little more order in my <laughs> recording these things than that. I want to be able to preserve it and look at it. But record it. Hold on to it. You know what? In these times of difficulty, like David's going to describe, you will see insights into the character of God like you've never seen when things are going smooth as silk. You brethren that have been through that, would you say amen to that? You, you've had it. You know it's true. But you have the Word of God even if you hadn't experienced it. And then the second thing, to inquire in His temple. Then comes the prayer request. I'm in awe of your majesty and that makes me being willing to trust you with my problem and ask for grace to help in our time of need. Right? Hebrews 4.16 And there are a lot of Christians that don't get the grace to help I think because they don't ask. The, the grace to help is available up there in heaven. But the Lord says that we need to ask. You know the old picture of someone walking up to heaven and seeing all these gifts all wonderfully wrapped. Well, who was all that for? You know, Well, that was for you. You didn't ask for them, so I didn't give them to you. He knows how He made us. He knows we can ask. We have to humble ourselves to ask, though, don't we? You have to take that old selfish, independent spirit and put it on the altar and ask, right? J. Vernon McGee, in one of his messages way back in the late 50s, said that what we need today is not a declaration of independence, but a declaration of dependence. This country needs that, but we as believers need that too. Trusting the Lord alone. One thing that I seek, he says. For in the time of trouble, one translation says, in the day of evil. Or you could call it the evil day. You remember Paul picks up on that in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the armor of God. Remember he says, so that he says, stand in the armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day. In other words, I think what the Holy Spirit's telling us is that in our Christian life, there are certain days, I can go back and mark them now, looking back in my life, and I'm sure they're gonna, if I live, there, there are gonna be some ahead of me too, right? Just like for you. But you can go back and mark, there were certain days where you were staring temptation. Right in the face. That's the evil day. That's when you really need to be relying on that armor that the Lord gives and to be seeking Him and His strength with the confidence that David's talking about here. There are certain days that are evil days. Micah talks about it. It's an, it was an evil day in his life. Beloved, everything's pointing to the, the fact that that's where we're headed right here in this country. You know, you don't have to be a genius with what happened in the elections in November and what happened January 6th and what had been happening in Portland and Seattle to know that we are in an evil day. 
We don't know where it's going. We don't. It could go a lot of different directions. But we know who's in control. But are we going to Him and rejoicing in Him despite the fact that the evil day is still there? David's going to talk about singing and rejoicing. And the evil's still there. The danger is still there. That takes practice, doesn't it? it? It's hard to sing and rejoice in the Lord when you're in pain, right? Because that pain just, you know, it hits on all the cylinders in our brain. And But brain can, brain can be a great tool if we let it be. Some of us live with pain. You know, I know people who live with pain practically their whole life. Different kinds in different ways. And the Lord is able to carry us through and use it for good if we let Him. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. (laughs) In the secret place of His tabernacle. Again, He's not talking about a literal building here. Because when David was running from Saul, being at the temple or the tabernacle would have been the worst place for him to be, right? Ask the priest of Nob. What happened to them? Saul arranged them all and slew the whole group. If David had been hiding there, it wouldn't have been a place. So what is he meaning? He's hiding me in his presence. Wherever I am, he can make it a pavilion. So he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his, maybe we could say his heart, his presence. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Do you believe that? He did. David did. These that criticized David, I want to ask them, do you, do you experience trouble like this? Do you realize what it is to be high upon a rock like Masada and your enemies are way down there on the ground and they can't get to you? They can't get to you. That's what it means to be in the secret place of his tabernacle. David knew that. And now my head, he concludes the introduction, shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to Jehovah. You see? And don't worry about if your voice isn't just right or you don't know the right kind of things about music, don't let that be a stumbling. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? He wants to hear you sing. But not only that, singing is therapeutic. Because when you're singing His praises in the midst of the trial, that's what they found out in Second Chronicles 20 last week, right? They were singing and the Lord was taking care of the enemy. And what happened with the enemy was what's going to happen at the battle of Armageddon. It was a preview of Armageddon. And it was the same thing that happened with Sennacherib's hosts when the Lord came upon them, when they surrounded Jerusalem, right? In Hezekiah's day. The Lord's able to do this. (laughs) He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. But do we believe it? And if we believe it, do we act on it? It's one thing to believe it. It's another to act on it, right? And we need to encourage one another that way. Not in a way of finger pointing, but in a way of coming alongside saying, Hey, brother, sister, 
I know what you're going through. I'm praying with you. Or go over and pray with them. Send them a card. Tell them you're praying for them. Being there with them. Letting them know they're not going through this alone. Because when we're going through the trial, emotion takes over. And when emotion takes over, we don't think straight. Amen? We don't think straight. And it's the human condition. Okay? And so... That's where we come along, someone who's not going through the trial, that can come along and say, look, you've got a, you'll have a clearer picture of it than they might at that moment. And they'll eventually get that picture themselves. So he says, my head is lifted up. I'll sing praises to the Lord. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 15? One of the priestly sacrifices is called the sacrifice of praise, right? The fruit of lips that does what? That complains about my problems? (laughs) No, the fruit of lips that gives glory to thy name. And every one of you who's a child of God, brother and sister, is a priest, part of the priesthood of believers. And you are to be offering the sacrifice of praise. Not just at the Lord's Supper. We do a pretty good job with that one. Thank the Lord. But all through the week, especially in the difficult times, you see the reality of what David's talking about here. He's not talking about some pie-in-the-sky thing that, that only certain people. He's talking about down in the trenches where it's difficult, right? And so that leads him in verses 7 through 10, and I, I believe he is expounding here what he said in verse 1. The Lord himself is my salvation. And and why? Well, here's the salvation. He's already alluded to it in verse 4, right? He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. This is prayer, right? Have mercy also upon me. There's the mercy. And answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Now, isn't it interesting? That's what we call an anthropomorphism, a figure of speech that the Bible likes to use about God because God the Father doesn't have a face, right? The Lord Jesus does. But the Lord Jesus hadn't come yet. So what was David saying when he says, to seek your face? Well, ask your young children, and they'll be able to answer you. They know. Because if you're upset with them and you turn your back to them like this, no, Daddy, Daddy, turn around, turn around. I want to see your face. I don't like it like this, right? Because I I feel a separation. There's something about the face, the expression. And they can see in your eyes and they can see in your smile. I like to think of this as I, I want to see your smile, which is his approval. Right? Seeking his face is seeking his approval. And where do we get that? By reminding ourselves of what the scripture says about who he is and who we are in him. Seek your face. I want your approval, Lord. In this time of difficulty, I want to know that you love me and that I belong to you and that you're not upset with me. That's why he's asking for mercy, right? 
have mercy on my weaknesses and my problems and my weak faith, but don't turn your face away from me. He'll go on to say that. Don't hide your face from me. I need to see your face. You see how it's all about relationship? Like I say, children know this. As we get older, we, we, we think the world creeps in, I guess. And the, the things of, that children learn, when they get older, they forget. But this is childlike faith. Not childish faith, but childlike faith. And what did the Lord Jesus say about people coming to Him in Matthew 18? The only people that come to Him are people that come like a little children. You come to him like a little child. You don't come in with all your intellectual degrees and all your bragging and all your accomplishments and all your Sunday school attendance and gold stars on a chart or whatever. You don't come to him with all of that. You come to him like a child. And look at the children. We saw them up here. Look at how meek they are. That's what he, blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the whole earth. And they didn't have to do anything to get it. Didn't have to work for it one bit. They're just gonna, it's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're not going to earn the kingdom. Put that out of your mind. It's my Father's good pleasure just to give it to you. He's a giving God. Going to give you the whole kingdom. And that's what our future is. So David says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. See? Looking back at the past, and you've been, do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You see, we tend to look to people first before we look to God. Now, some of you grew up in Christian homes, and so your parents are believers, and you have more, a little more reliability in looking to your parents than if your parents were lost. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I got saved 40 years ago almost, they turned against me. And for a long time stayed against me. And my siblings are still against me. Both my parents are gone now. And my siblings are still against me. <laughs> the ones you, you think you would trust the most. So don't assume when you're witnessing to people out in this, especially in this world in which we live, right? A lot of them are coming from broken homes. A lot of them are coming from one-parent families. There are more of those, it seems like, than there are two-parent families. That's the world we're living in. That's being alert and aware, right? So this is a great verse. This is the only time, I think, in the Psalter David makes this reference. But you remember, David could be referring to here. You remember in 1 Samuel 22 when he was realizing the danger of King Saul and he's running from him? What did he do? He took his parents and went across the Dead Sea to Moab and said to the king of Moab, take care of my parents. I can't be watching for them and me too. Until this settles out, I don't know how it's going to settle out. But we also know when he was up against the giant, remember what his... Older brothers said, they mocked him. Ah, go take care of this sheep. He was the youngest, and they said, ah, his own siblings, see. They forsook him. And if you think, whoever it is you're putting in the place of God, if it's your parents, 
if it's a mentor, even a Christian mentor that you thought you could trust, or if it's a coach or a teacher. How many times have we had problems with that in the last 30 years? Or a priest that you're going to put all your trust in. Any human being you put in the place of God is going to fail you in the time you need him the most. Trust in God. He said, even when my parents, the ones closest to me, brought me into the world, forsake me. Some of you in Christian homes, that could even happen. You know, I mean, we don't know what's ahead in the way of trials, and, and parents do weird things when they get older sometimes. But God, David was saying that God is faithful. Why would you go anybody else? Right? David learned that. The Lord will take care of me. And then in verses 11 to 13, this is how he's defining, I think, the Lord is my light. I remember as a young Christian, a dear sister, I still have it on my wall at the condo up there. She stitched Psalm 27.1. I used to say that the Lord is my light. I understand how he's my salvation, but how is he my light? What, what is that? And even the commentaries seem to struggle with it. But I think he defines that in verses 11 to 13. What does light do when you're in a dark space? It helps you see the way out. Right? And you're going to be really thankful for light when you're in a really dark place. Paul says, you remember, in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, but God will provide a way of escape. But are we seeking it? And we won't get that way of escape if we're not seeking Him, seeking His face, making Him our one thing have I desired. So teach us, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path, not a rough one where I could get off kilter because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen. This is a hard thing to endure. You know, he's being accused falsely. If you've ever been in that position, and you will be, if you live very long on this earth, because Satan's name, that's what his name means, accuser. And he's the accuser of the brethren, right? In Revelation 12. And how much does he accuse them in Revelation 12? Day and night at the throne. He never stops. Oh, did you see that one? And you think he's so great. He says to the like he did with Job. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's David saying? My hope's in the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. And where am I going to see the goodness of the Lord? In heaven somewhere, floating on a cloud, playing a, a harp? No, in the land of the living, on terra firma, on the earth, he says. I want to see the goodness of the Lord now. And don't you want to see the goodness of the Lord in your life? So he concludes it in verse 14. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage while you're waiting on Him, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is from someone who's running for his life. <laughs> and we have recorded in Scripture what happened when he didn't wait on the Lord and got ahead of the Lord, right? He got in trouble. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. It's no fun to get ahead of the Lord. No way. You end up getting in a hornet's nest, right? But when you do, you come back to him. 
You don't stay in the defeated condition. You come back, get restored, make your focus right again. One thing have I desired. So I say, beloved, make him your treasure. No one else, nothing else. And you won't be disappointed. Amen? Make him your treasure when things are going good. And make him your treasure when things are not going good. And be seeking the goodness of the Lord in your life. Right now. So, Father, we thank you for your word and for the instruction and encouragement it gives us. We pray, O Lord, that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know about the goodness of the Lord in their life because they haven't admitted their need for a Savior, they haven't recognized that they're a sinner before a holy God, and that you provided a Savior, and the only way to the Father is through the Son, the Lord Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. We pray that they would yield, see this truth, and yield and ask the Lord to save them. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And may we all be praying that. Maybe there's an individual that's here today that needs the Lord in their lives so desperately. And if they've received the Lord, we pray that they'll talk to one of us and And let us know, because the Lord says to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. For those of us who are believers, Lord, we have difficulties, we have trials, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we're here for one another. Help us to be compassionate like you and keep pointing people to you as their great treasure. Thank you again for this day. Be with us as we celebrate the 4th of July later. Help us to remember your goodness. We ask these things with thanksgiving. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.